0: Lori, all I have to say is I heard a challenge in those words, and if I weren't afraid that I would pull something, I would bust out some dance moves as well. (laughs) Jeff, you know you'd pull something too. (laughs) We started a new series last week, we're uh, calling it The Adventure of Discipleship, because We're on a journey with the followers of Jesus, and it's really an incredible journey. Uh, We started this journey following Easter Sunday because this is when the risen Lord appears to them, and still, still, they're struggling to understand. They're struggling to make sense of everything. And and, listen, we're right there with them, aren't we? We are right there with them. We are still trying to make sense of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus does and, and how what he says and what he does for us really, really shapes who we are and how we live in this world as gospel-shaped people. So last week the followers of Jesus, they find themselves in a boat and they're on a lake and they're making painful progress because of the wind. You can read about this if you want in Mark chapter 6. And our text last week, well, it ended with these words, Mark chapter 6 and verses 51 through 52. It says, and he got into the boat. This is interesting. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Well, this week, the followers of Jesus, they're going to find themselves once again in a boat. There's no wind to worry about in this particular item, and yet there is Something else they're worrying about. So if you're in your Bibles in Mark chapter 6, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. That's where our text is going to be part of what Amy has already read for us this morning. Now, there are some remarkable similarities between Mark chapter 6 and, and Mark chapter 8. It feels a little bit like biblical deja vu. And for some reason, I have this feeling that I've already said this to you before, which feels a little bit like, Biblical deja vu. Now, in case you're wondering, biblical deja vu is a little bit like Voulez but without the backing harmonies and the platform heels. So that's how you know the difference between those things. And so here we are in Mark chapter 8, and it looks like we're reading Mark chapter 6. Because it seems like the same events are unfolding over and over again. See, in Mark 6... Jesus feeds 5,000-something people with five loaves and two fish, and immediately after this, Jesus puts his disciples into a boat, and he sets them on a journey across the lake where they will face this storm, this wind, and he goes up onto a mountainside to pray, and there from his vantage point, Jesus sees and he sees that they're struggling to make it across the lake. And somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus finally leaves the mountain, and he heads out towards them, but he intends to pass them by. But they see him, and they cry out in fear, saying, It's a ghost. And so he gets into the boat, and immediately the wind stops, as we just read, and the text says, They do not understand. They do not understand. Now in Mark 8, we see this scene playing out much the same way again. Once the chapter again opens up with Jesus faced with a great crowd of people in a remote place, they've been with Jesus for three days, and either they haven't eaten for three days or the food has run out. And so in verse 2 of Mark chapter 8, if you're looking in your Bibles, you'll see once again, just like in Mark chapter 6, Jesus has compassion on the cross. And he knows that some of them have come from a very long distance and he wants to give them something to eat so that they will not faint and they'll be able to make it home. And he doesn't want to send them home empty handed. So once again, like the previous encounter in verse 4, notice that Jesus asks of his followers, do you have anything to eat to give these people to eat? And their response is the same. How could we possibly find something they say? in this desolate place. And once again, Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? And this time, at least, we start seeing some differences. The disciples seem to be a little bit more prepared this time because now they have seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And just like before, Jesus tells the crowd to sit down, And just like before, he takes the loaves and he gives thanks for them and the fish and he hands them to his followers to divide amongst those who were there. This great crowd of people. And just like before, look at verse 8. The Bible tells us that every single person there ate and they were And just like before, the disciples go up and pick up the leftovers and they gather seven baskets full of leftovers. Seven loaves of bread to begin with and seven basketfuls to end. Now, of course, the crowd is a little bit smaller this time. Verse 9 tells us that's only about 4,000 people instead of the 5,000 from before. And this is where the similarities end rather than put the disciples into a boat and send them on their way, Jesus actually gets into a boat with them and travels with them and journeys with them to the other side of the lake. If you're looking in your Bible, immediately they travel to what the Bible calls the region of Magadan. You ever notice how these Bible names sound like a town right out of a Star Wars movie script? I mean, it really makes it interesting if you just think of these as little Star Wars villages all around. So they go to this area of Maganan, but instead of stormtroopers, we have the Pharisees, which I guess could kind of be the stormtroopers. And the Pharisees are waiting for Jesus when he gets to that side of the lake. And immediately, if you look in verse 11, you'll see that they have a nefarious agenda. They have motives that that are not good. They immediately confront Jesus, and they demand from him a sign from heaven. So the religious leaders, they want to test, and they want to trap Jesus, and they do this pretty much all along the way. You know why? Because they don't believe him. They don't believe him. They don't believe he is who he said he is. So this is from a heart of unbelief that they set out as their mission to test him, to trap him, to try to catch him in something that he says. And so the Gospels show us on more than one occasion where we have these incidences, these skirmishes with the religious leaders of the day, those who do not believe in Jesus over and over are coming to him demanding a sign. Sometimes they say, hey, give us a sign so we'll believe, but sometimes they say, Give us a sign so that other people will believe in you. Now, Jesus, if you'll notice, in all of these stories, and all of these incidences, he will engage in dialogue, but he will never give in to any demand to show a sign. Where there is no possibility of faith or belief, Jesus refuses to give any sign. They demand a sign. You see what they get instead in the text? They get a sigh. You know, with the crowds and the disciples, Jesus is patient and patient and patient. I mean, the very definition of patience and forbearance. He is intentionally and methodically giving one sign after another, after another, after another, after another. And so look at verse 12, a reaction that every mom in this room, every teacher, or every coach has had at one point in your life, Jesus sighs deeply and is grieved. You know, this isn't the first time that Jesus has responded this way. In fact, there's a really, really clever thing going on in Mark's gospel. See, if you look ahead or behind in just Mark chapter 7 and verse 34, we see that Jesus is confronted with a man who cannot hear. And when this man is brought to him, Jesus looks up to heaven and he sighs. And he uses an Aramaic word, which in English means be opened. Be opened. And so this is really clever. Well, maybe for like Joe Clemens and I, this is really good. We like this kind of stuff. If you start looking in Mark 7 at this story, you see what Mark is doing. He opens this whole narrative with Jesus opening the ears of someone who could not hear. And then Jesus feeds 4,000 people, and then Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees, and then Jesus warns his followers about the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. He says, watch out for those guys, because they have a yeast, they have a leaven that they spread around. And then the disciples, what do they do? Well, they're in a boat with Jesus, and all they're doing is fretting about this one fact. Uh Uh-oh, we only brought one loaf of bread. And so Jesus is faced with this scenario, and Mark is showing us this great detail, this great picture. And then so in this context, Jesus says, can you not see? Can you not hear? I love this. And the very next thing Jesus does is he heals a blind man. So he starts by healing someone who can't hear, and he ends with healing somebody who can't see. And all along in the middle, he looks at his closest followers and says, Can you not hear? Can you not see? Do you not understand? And so this deep sigh of sadness, Jesus tells the Pharisees, I'm not going to be giving you any sign. It won't make a difference at all. He gets into the boat with his disciples. They cast off to the other side of the lake. And there in this moment, Jesus sees a perfect opportunity for a teaching moment. Now, I've uh, I've spent a fair amount of time in boats and on lakes, and um, I- I've done... I would say a fair amount of fishing in my life. A fair amount of fishing. And I have something that that if I don't have this on a fishing trip, the fishing trip is ruined. Absolutely ruined. You you see, the most important thing to me about a fishing trip is my lunchbox. That's that's the most important thing to me, is my lunchbox. And I, I mean... Sure, catching fish is fun, and all that stuff is fun. But to me, one of the best parts about fishing is, well, is eating on a boat. I can trace this back to my formative years fishing with my dad. I mean, the time that we spent with, with my dad and my, my granddad in a boat, I mean, a lot of the time we spent, sure, we were fishing, but we were together and, and we were eating. I mean, it was a treat for me. It was an absolute treat for me to, uh, to be able to have that white bread and to be able to have bologna, right? And when I bought this, I'm like, huh, they actually have to tell you that it's beef bologna now, you know, as if they, and, and I know this is going to like, some people are going to be tracking with me right now, and some people you're just having a hard time. And then there was the American cheese, right and you take white bread and you 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 take bologna and you you take this cheese and and you get your sandwich ready and you got to have your doritos right and, and you put all this together and like this is fishing right here for me this is fishing right now listen i love to fish but but right here this is fishing and and, and see my dad my dad is this he hates mustard my dad hates mustard like like you would not believe and so you know, his his weapon of choice, of course, and I'm about to set off a real controversial thing here. you got to have mayonnaise with your sandwich, right? But unless you come from a particular part of the country where it's Miracle Whip, and this might be why Jesus was able to get that bread to multiply so much. After all, it is Miracle Whip. You know, but see... I, I got that and when I was a kid, but here's part of my rebellion, you know, rage against the machine and all. Part of my rebellion was this right here. I love mustard. And for me, the, the spicier, the better. So I understand at a level perhaps no one else does about what's going on in this text when the disciples get in a boat and they push off from shore and they realize, uh-oh, we forgot lunch. We forgot lunch. We only brought with us one loaf of bread. Now, I've had the good fortune of fishing with several of our congregation's finest fishermen. And let me tell you something. Here in Missouri, in the show-me state, you guys don't mess around at all. I mean, these guys are hardcore I mean, they get up a half an hour before they go to bed just to be able to go and get ready and go fishing. And let me tell you, this is true. I have fished with several people in this church, and this is true of all of them. They fish nonstop, 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 nonstop all day long. Now, I've changed the names to protect the guilty but you got Sig, Crank, Bait, Kirby. You got Perry the Ned Garnell and Zim, Z Man, Zilum. These guys will fish all day long. And I'm I'm like about midday, right? I'm getting out the pressure cooker and I'm getting out the deep fryer and my smoker. And I'm like, are we not going to even stop and have a cookie, fellas? But no, 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 not these guys. Snow on the ground, freezing conditions. You know what they say? There'll be less people at the boat ramp. These guys are hardcore, so I've been fishing with them several times, and I'm like, I'm like one of the disciples in the boat going, but what about lunch? What about lunch? I told Beth after a recent outing with these guys, that said, you know, I think I've realized that I'm not there to win the tournament, I'm just there for the experience. Of being together. So I understand if you look in verse 14 at what happens next. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Their minds are on bread and the mind of Jesus is on yeast. So he sees this moment as a teaching moment. For a rare occasion, they are by themselves. There are no crowds around them, and here Jesus sees, okay, I can teach something here. Just Jesus and the twelve. It's a perfect opportunity for some quality time. They have obviously seen the confrontation with the Pharisees, and some texts even add the Herodians, who had come to test Jesus. And so in verse 15, Jesus says, he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Uh, by the way, you you fast forward in the story and and the Bible tells us that Herod was eager and excited to meet Jesus because he had heard so many things and he was hoping to see a sign from him. That's all he wanted was to see a sign from him. And so Jesus says watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now if you've if you 've done any home baking or brewing of any soda, you know that yeast is a very important ingredient, right and so this little packet here of yeast, if you 've ever opened up a yeast packet, these things are tiny they 're tiny, tiny, tiny and Jesus talks about yeast in his parables, just like he does a mustard seed in in Matthew chapter thirteen and Luke chapter thirteen, both to tell this story, a positive thing about yeast that that all it takes is a couple little granules and it multiplies into something great and big. He says the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a woman who takes a little bit of yeast and puts it in dough and that dough multiplies and it becomes great and vast in quantity. So that's the positive thing that Jesus says when talking about yeast. But in this instance, he's not talking about the positive aspect of yeast. He's talking about influence. Influence. More specifically, He's talking about hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Those who have closed hearts, those who have hardened hearts, and they're coming to Jesus and say, all we need from you is a sign. All we need is just to see you do something. We're not really going to believe. We just need to see you do something. And so here Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. He's talking about yeast. He's talking about the negative aspect of leaven but they don't get it. They don't understand. They think he's talking about the fact that he only brought one loaf of bread. So I I want you to see what Jesus is trying to warn his followers about. You see, unbelief is not necessarily the absence of something. It's the presence of something else. It's the presence of something else. And what Jesus is most worried about in this moment is that these 12 disciples have been with him so long and they still don't understand. Uh, The Pharisees, they have a lack of belief because Jesus won't give them any proof. But what's happening here, if you look at verse 16, they're discussing among themselves that they don't have any bread and Jesus is trying to turn them. He's trying to teach them something else. And so what Jesus says, and look at these questions, do you not perceive? Do you not understand? And then this, are your hearts hardened, right? It's one question after another, after another, and then it's followed with, and do you not remember? Now, now Jesus does something really interesting here because he asks his followers, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did you pick up? And they say 12. And and then he changes the word. In English, it's the word baskets. But in Greek, Jesus used two different words. When he talks about the 4,000, when I gave you the 4,000, we fed the 4,000 people, he says, how many bushels did you pick up? And they said, well, seven. And then Jesus says, do you not understand? Here's what Jesus is asking them. You have to keep in mind that the Gospels spend the majority amount of their time in the last week of Jesus' life. And so by now, the followers have been with him a long time. And Jesus is, 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 is understanding that time is running out. That time is running out. He is going to be delivered, just as he said. He's going to be tried, just as he said. He's going to be crucified, just as he said. Jesus knows this is just a few days ahead. And so listen to these questions in a different way. Listen to these questions from a sigh standpoint, not from an anger standpoint. Hear Jesus saying, what have you seen while you've been with You've seen my power over darkness. You've seen my power over demons. You've seen my power over disease. You've seen my power over death itself. You've seen my power over the natural world, over the wind, over the waves. You've seen my power even over animals while I've been with you. And what have your ears heard while you have been with me? I've spoken to you about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of heaven on earth with as many illustrations as I could think of. I pulled illustrations from every walk of life, from every profession, from every industry, from everything that you know about. I've even talked about fishing. To get you to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Why then are your minds so slow to understand. Why then are your hearts so resistant to believe? Do you remember the, the moment in the scriptures? Luke 7 writes about this when the followers of John the Baptist come to him. John the Baptist is in jail, his his days are numbered, and John struggles. And he sends his followers to Jesus and says, Are you the one that we should expect, or should we expect someone else? This answer of Jesus is exactly what Jesus is asking his followers in this moment in these questions of them, Go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news, preach to them, blessed is the one who does not stumble or is not offended because of me. The disciples have witnessed the power of Jesus. They have front row seats to what Jesus is doing but they're struggling with his true identity. They're struggling with belief. They've seen all these great and amazing things. They've heard all these great and amazing things, but their hearts are struggling to catch up. And so with these questions, Jesus is not scolding them. Jesus is not reprimanding them. He is gently tugging at them. He is gently leading them. He's trying to be aware, make them aware of the urgency of the situation that they are facing. Jesus is trying to let them see by the example of the Pharisees and the religious leaders that stubbornness and disbelief, it leads to spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. And so Jesus is patiently, lovingly trying to lead them through a different kind of storm. Not caused by the wind this time, but caused by doubt. And so the disciples, boy. <laughs> They struggle with their time with Jesus, even after several years of of daily interaction. They don't understand his mission. They don't understand his message. And so the gospel story, while telling us encouraging and uplifting and wonderful things about the life of Jesus, it tells us another story, that those who were closest to him struggled in key moments that they don't follow perfectly, that they don't follow faithfully, that they don't follow fully. And, and when we look at the example of the disciples, it's not a case of, well, you know, we can be better followers. It's not a case of if we can look at the wrongs that they did and we can, just, we can do better. It's not an issue of, well, we can be just like them and it's okay. No, it's an issue of we are just like them and it's okay. You know who we are? We're the Father who has come to Jesus and said, you know, I believe, but what I need more than anything else from you right now is for you to help me with my unbelief. That's what I need. We're the disciples struggling with Jesus. We're oblivious at times to the urgency of the moment. We're oblivious at times to the struggles and suffering of others. Modern American Christianity has taught us to concern ourselves with a lot of things that in the end have little eternal significance. And we get caught up in that, just like the followers of Jesus. Jesus is talking about spiritual hunger, and all we're thinking about is lunch. But you know what? The disciples get there. They do. They do. Something happens to them, and they get there. You know what happens? That's where we're going to start next week. Jesus opens their eyes. And Jesus opens their minds. And they get it. The risen Lord. You know, Jesus does for us exactly what he does for the Father who struggles and for the followers who struggle. He opens our eyes. He opens our ears. He opens our hearts. So what is it that we need to see? What is it that we need to understand more than anything else in this moment? We need to see our Savior. We need to see his faithfulness. We need to see that Jesus followed perfectly. We need to see that Jesus followed faithfully. We need to see that Jesus followed fully. He lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we could not die. He lived his life, the life that was required for salvation, and he died the death that was required for salvation. See, part of our struggle of faith And our faithfulness goes back to self-salvation. It does. We think it's our faith which saves us. So if I have enough faith, then I'll be saved. If I don't have enough faith, then I'm not saved. But listen, this is where we're headed next. This is where the text is moving to us to be confronted with the risen Lord that we are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Not by our faith. Salvation is a gift, and grace is a gift, but so also is faith. Faith is a gift. Belief is a gift. And the one thing we need above anything else is to say, Lord Jesus, open our eyes, open our ears. Father, would you do that? Would you open our eyes to see you? Would you open our ears to hear you? Would you open our minds to embrace the truth of who you are and how that makes a difference with how we live today as gospel-shaped people? Holy Spirit, would you melt the clouds of sin and sadness? Would you drive the doubt of darkness? And Jesus, the giver of immortal gladness, would you fill us with the light of day. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to have a song played right now, and I'm going to ask whatever elders that are here and shepherding couples, would you just stand somewhere in the breaks in the aisles up front if you want someone to pray with you today, this morning. If you're in a moment of struggle, if you're in a moment of weakness and you need someone to be with you, as we uh, share together in singing and hearing this song, our elders are in the breaks. they're They're in the spaces. They're in the margins for you during this time.